Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. This is the first opportunity that I have had in 2022 to talk with my good friend and colleague, Tim Miller. So happy new year, Tim. Happy new year, Charlie. It's so good to be here. It's been such a good week on the pod. If people haven't listened, you know, you, you know, you did that email about how you were a little fatigued by the world, but uh, <laughs> it did not show this week. Crystal, you know, was wry and awesome. I love Evan Osnos talking about yeah. Gino. Olivia Nuzzi's my friend talking about Dr. Oz. If people miss that, it's been I've been enjoying you this week, and much more than the other podcasts I've been listening to. Well, and, and then, then, of course, we had the All-Star yesterday, uh, Susan Glasser from New Yorker and uh, Julian Zelizer from Princeton on the anniversary. And, of course, we, you know, saved the best for last, Tim oh, yeah. Miller. Hey, so, Tim, I, I have to mention this. Um, today is our birthday. Today is the third anniversary of the full website of The Bulwark. And as I said in my newsletter this morning, I think that, you know, in this particular era, we have to count years in dog years. So I, 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 we're not toddlers. I, I think we're 21 years old based on that. I mean, it feels like it's been 21 years. But so the morning of January 7, 2019, we launched the website. You can see a picture of what it looked like. We've come a long way from that. And Bill Crystal, JVL, and I did the very first official Bulwark podcast in this big conference room, Cyril Longwell's office, we did the very first official podcast. I don't think I listened to that one. Well, you will now. Listen to this. Welcome to the first real official edition of the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It what were those two my- podcasts we did before? Those were good. <laughs> yeah, they were sort of bonuses, weren't I mean, they? Geez, you know, it just throws the first two podcasts under the okay. bus. I mean, but now it's okay, real. Let's go ahead. You're the editor. You're it the editor-in-chief, Charlie. You I'm the editor-in-chief, and you're editor-at-large, yeah. which is like the perfect title, you know. Yeah. And then there's Jonathan no real, Last. No real responsibility. Jo- Jonathan Last, who is going to be the experiential director for the new Bulwark website. Director of Special Operations. Director of Special Operations. I like that. Well, for those of you who've been wondering um, what was going on, today is the full launch, not just of the Bulwark podcast, but of the the Bulwark website. It is fully operational. The Death Star is up. And, you know, I look back on that, and you know what I'm most struck by, Tim? What's up? How much darker my hair was back then. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it is really amazing. You know, they show those pictures of, you know, presidents when they come into office and how old yeah. they look later. Yeah. I, I kind of feel that. Uh, I, I felt I that gonna, way about Charlie. If this makes you feel any better, I do not because this person is sensitive and might be a listener. So I, I, I felt that way about uh, one of the television hosts that I was watching yesterday. So I think that this just. It's been a long four years, five years for everybody, and you know this happens when you reach a certain age. And I thought it was more stark for this person that was going around the internet than for you. Well, okay, I, I'm, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, again, happy anniversary happy to the anniversary. Bulwark. Uh, you know, what's really kind of remarkable about, it, and I, I've mentioned this before, was is that it, when we launched this, we really had no way of knowing whether it would last for more than three months. It was kind of a stopgap measure. Because they'd murdered the Weekly Standard uh, just like basically two or three weeks earlier. It was on December 14th, 2018. And it was kind of a like, like let's have a placeholder for a while until, you know, the successor will rise up. And, and yet here we are three years later. And I, I think it's safe to say that none of us had any idea what the bulwark would become the kind of people we would attract uh, the group of contributors the writers people like you tim uh, or the, you know we'd have people like james carville writing for us the the, the po- all of it you know the, the whole suite of the podcast you know having people like mona charon and you know jvl and the newsletters and what sarah longwell has been able to put together amanda carpenter uh, everybody it's really been war- I was going to say one of the most extraordinary professional experiences I've ever had, but it's definitely the most extraordinary professional experience I've ever had. So thanks. For sure. Yeah, I was, I guess I would go so far as to say I was bearish. Um, so when people hear my pessimism about the state of things, uh, you know, take this as a proof point that sometimes my pessimism proves wrong. Uh, Sarah was a friend of mine and asked if I'd help kind of write from time to time or participate. Yeah. And I, I, obviously you guys were my people spiritually. And so I, 
I said, what the hell, and wanted to participate and chime in from time to time. And I, I didn't, I had no idea that it would take off like this. I agree with you. I thought maybe it was, there was no market for something like this. There seemed to be very little political market for us, if we're being honest. So I was skeptical of the media marketplace. And, and it's just been really wonderful. And so I'm so happy that you guys took the plunge and had the, had the courage to do it and, you know, the willingness to put yourselves on the line after the standard and that Sarah had the willingness to, to sort of take the risk and jump in. And it really has been wonderful. And I do think that we've got even maybe bigger things coming in 2022. I think so. I think we we do, and, and of course, you know, one of the propositions that was being tested is: is there an audience for non-tribal media? And I, yeah. I think there was real grounds for skepticism, because you know, if you're not at one extreme or the other, you know, do you fall between the stools? And so this this question of you know, was there is there some space in the center, center right, center left, where we could do all of this? And it was by no means obvious that it would be a success. So, and we thank you so much for all the supporters. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, and one last thing on this point, just the ability to have discussion, right? I think that people, are there are so very few places to just work these things out and have discussions because everybody, you know, is looking over their shoulders worried if their audience or their staff or whatever is going to, you know, revolt if they do some wrong speak. And so I, it was one of, while you were gone, I, one of the podcasts I did was with Perry Bacon for people who didn't, mm-hmm. you know, there might, I'm sure might be some folks who don't listen when Charlie's here, which I get, you know, they're here for the big man. But, uh, you know, the feedback I got on that was actually mostly positive about where the times we disagreed, right? right. And it was people that was like, I'm so happy to hear cordial disagreement. We a little back and forth about the student loan issue and a couple other things. And so, Anyway, I, I, I think that has been another thing that's been really gratifying about this, that people people do want that. And, and hopefully we can have a little bit more of that back and forth in, in the coming year. You, you know, I mean, a lot of people try to uh, to pigeonhole us as uh, I, mean, I, I think there's probably a group of conservatives that think we suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. And there's no question about it. We, we have been very consistently, you know, n- never Trump and now never again Trump. But I really think that it was JVL who put his finger on, I think, what the, what the real secret formula was going to be, which was that we were going to tell you what we actually thought. Yeah. We, we weren't going to. And I think this is part of the problem that in this era, there's so many people that, you know, feel the need to put their head down. Well, I can't say this or, you know what, you know, the donors will be upset if I say something bad about the Orange God King or. And then I think that that contributed to the sort of the the same old, same old strain, some of the hyper tribalism of, you know, much of the media. And we just basically, I think part of it was because the Weekly Standard had imploded so horrifically <laughs> that <laughs> because a lot, we didn't a lot think of, it was going to last three months. Why not well, just say what we did? <laughs> exactly. It was like we were all out of fucks to give, you know. <laughs> so it was like, OK, whatever. We've kind of been through that. So let's just lay it all out. And I remember in the first few months, you know, we were sitting around and I remember maybe it was maybe it was like the first month or the second month or something. And Jim Swift was saying, you know, whatever happens here, we left it all on the field. It was kind of amazing because we'd only been in operation for a month. And yeah, we got off to a great start. So anyway, thanks for all the the listeners, the, uh, the, you know, the contributors. Thank you, especially to the members of Bulwark Plus, people who have you know, come forward and joined the community. We, we appreciate it immensely. Okay, so I, I DM'd you last night, Tim, just so people We've know. we received a bounty from the heavens, Charlie. I, I, that's, I used Man, the word I'm... bounty from that. I said, Tim, I cannot tell you how much I am looking forward to, you know, this podcast because we were in the midst of, of watching, of wallowing in the Ted Cruz prostration, his grovel, this extraordinary experience. And again, Ted Cruz is no stranger to groveling. Uh, he's done it before. You I mean, remember, you know, even after his wife was insulted, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of decided that he was going to keep his his head down, maybe to get reelected as a senator. Well, he's reelected. And uh, so he was called on the carpet by Tucker Carlson to um, abjectly apologize for having said mean things about the people who assaulted the Capitol. He had referred to them as terrorists. And Tucker Carlson, um, well, he basically, you know, begged forgiveness and went on Tucker Carlson and apologized and then apologized harder. And then having thoroughly humiliated himself, he then tweeted out 
his own self-humiliation. I mean, I, I read in the newsletter, this, was, this is so bad. <laughs> this is so bad. Even, even Lindsey Graham's going, man, have some pride. <laughs> you know? Even I Lindsey mean, Graham. I mean, if you haven't seen it, we do need a content warning here. I'm blushing right now. I just, yeah. I do think there's a sort of a masochistic kink humili- yeah. to associated with this humiliation and what Ted is doing. I mean, it is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's okay. Un- it's let's, extremely well, uncomfortable. Okay, so that's why we need a little bit of a content warning because let's play about two minutes <laughs> of two minutes. A United States senator going before the throne of Tucker Carlson, prostrating himself, groveling, reaching deep into his stores of obsequiousness. <laughs> Here is Ted Cruz, the man who once wanted to be president of the United States and probably still does. You called this a terror attack when by no definition was it a terror attack. That's a lie. You told that lie on purpose, and I'm wondering why you did. Well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. When you aired your episode last (laughs) night, I I sent you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because the way I phrased things yesterday, it it was sloppy and and it was frankly dumb. I don't buy that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't buy that. Look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you used that accidentally. I just don't. It's, so, Tucker, th- as That's a result right. of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. Let me tell you what, what I meant to say. What I was referring to are, are the limited number of people who engaged in violent attacks against police officers. Now, I think you and I both agree that if you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. That's Fair. who I was talking about. And the reason the phrasing was sloppy is I have talked dozens, if not hundreds of times. I've drawn a distinction. I wasn't saying that the thousands of peaceful protesters supporting Donald Trump are somehow terrorists. I wasn't saying the millions of of, of patriots across the country supporting President Trump are terrorists. And that's what a lot of people have misunderstood that comment. Wait a second, but even your way, but hold on. What you just said doesn't make sense. So if somebody assaults a cop, he should be charged and go to jail. I couldn't agree more. We have said that for years. Beg harder. But that person's still not a terrorist. How many people have been charged with terrorism? On January sixth, so like, why'd you not, use that word? You're playing into the other side's characterization that, as Joe Kent just explained, allows them to define an entire population as foreign combatants, and you know that. So why'd you do it? So, so Tucker, let me answer you directly. The, the reason I use that word for a decade, I have referred to people who violently assault police officers as terrorists. I've done so over and over and over again. If you look at all the assaults we've seen across the country, I've called that terrorism over and over again. That being said, Tucker, I agree with you. It was a mistake to say that yesterday, and the reason is what so you just sorry. said. Forgive me. Oh my God! The self-flagellation goes on and on. I just, okay, I so was cringing, just waiting for him to just like give me the whip again, Tucker. Just give please, me the sir, whip. Can I have, have, I have another <laughs> one. Okay, so it, it is important to point out though that that Tucker's right when he says that it wasn't just a one-off, it wasn't an off-the-cuff remark. Ted Cruz had used the term over and over and over again. He did the day of the attack. He did, you know, two days afterwards. I mean, he's done it multiple times. So, you know, he knew what he was doing. And yet when he's confronted by a talk show host on Fox News, this member of the United States Senate does not have the is, is unwilling to stand by his own words, things that he'd said and said, yeah, that's what I said. And 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 I was right. And let, let me repeat that. Instead, it's the fawning. It's the oh, Tucker, please. Can I come on your show? I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I look, I can I, I'm sorry just to go off on all of this. I you really see where the power is. I mean, you look at the split screen. There's a United States senator, former presidential candidate sitting there. And there's a talk show host, and you know who holds the whip, right? I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, it's kind of an iconic moment because if you are in Trump world, you're going to have these moments of self-humiliation. But as I wrote this morning, I mean, think about it for a second. You know, he and Lindsey Graham are United States fucking senators. They are powerful men, right? I mean, even if they weren't senators, you'd expect just a modicum of self-respect. I mean, just a little bit of personal pride, a trace of dignity, that might make them say, okay, I'm going to draw a line. I'm not going to cross. But no, there's Ted Cruz saying, beat me. Beat me for having offended the gods of Fox News. Yeah, I I mean, I I do think 
we're joking and it's funny, but I, I, I do think that there's a compulsive, compulsive need to be humiliated by Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's any other explanation. I mean, the way that he behaved in front of Donald Trump after he insulted his wife, and if you go back to what you know, his remember his roommate Craig Nazan was the is the writer for Chernobyl and like wrote about Ted in college, and and you know he would get caught playing with his little guy, you know, yeah. in, in the dorm room, and you know it's almost like he wanted to get caught and. And you know he 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 was um, on the Bush campaign. Always the most. Stuart Stevens has a good rant about this, about how he was the mocked one. And and I do think that there is kind of this need to be to be whipped and to be told that you know I can do better. <laughs> I can do better, dear leader. So I think that there's some psychological stuff that he needs okay, to okay, but, but 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 let yeah okay go, go on. No, no. The other the other thing though is to the power arrangement. It, it's bizarre that that's the that that's the senator in that position, not a staffer, right? No. And that and you know he. What it demonstrates, you know, I think on the anniversary of January sixth. It is is that the power is not just within Tucker, you know, which is true in that dynamic, but but the power is still in the most rabid, you know, deranged members of the MAGA mob, and 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 all of these guys have to grovel before them, even Donald Trump at times, as we saw with his comments about the vaccines and the boosters recently, right, and and you know Ted Cruz, um, you know I, I had a sense this was coming because. Um, Little tease for Monday. I've been, I've been in addition to just really enjoying your podcast this week. I've been suffering mm-hmm. through Steve Bannon's, and and that oh. guy puts out a lot of shit. I mean, I, it's just hours. I want to talk hours to you about that. Stuff he does. Yeah. Um, but but he was. They were filleting Cruz, him and Marge Taylor Green, and like all of these just you know gutter dwellers that go on Bannon's podcast. I, and so this was yesterday. And so when I saw it last night, almost like cancel culture. I mean, if you didn't know better, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> almost yeah. like cancel culture. You would think so. You, if you don't say the right thing, if you don't right. say whatever the new MAGA woke orthodoxy yeah. is, then you're going to get canceled. Yeah. Uh, you don't know if you don't have the right language, right? If you the, don't, these are the, the words right you are allowed to use. These <laughs> yeah, are the right. terms, and if you use these terms, you're canceled. We're going to fillet you. Nice so, rock move. It, it, um, but it's interesting, though. You know, when you're listening to that. It's a nice reminder, you know, that that there's this sense to, to minimize, like, kind of what's happening on the extreme, you know, in, in these environs, these extreme mag environs. But but they're still the runs ones running the show, and it's like on this random podcast he gets filleted, and then and that that night on Tucker Carlson, and then the next night there he is on the show with his ball gag. So he, here's the other like a, a paradox here, right? Because one of the things that the real marker of Trump style politics, this new style politics that, that others are, are trying to emulate. I mean, you see it with Ron DeSantis and Josh Hawley is that politicians are supposed to be strong, right? I mean, they're supposed to project strength. They are, they're supposed to fight, right? They never admit they're wrong. They never, ever, ever apologize. And yet here's Ted Cruz saying, I want to be part of this world. And the way that I'm part of this world is basically to, strip naked, pull my forelock and, you know, prostrate <laughs> myself on Fox News, you know, please forgive me. So this is the paradox that it's a world where nobody ever apologizes. You are the strong men. You are the manly men. And here's Ted Cruz wanting to get desperately get into and be accepted by that world by what? Crawling on his belly. Yeah, and well, it's because he wants he wants to become president. I mean, there's another news item about Ted while you were gone, and you know he did an interview with like some 15 year old conservative kids blog or something, yeah. where he told the kid that he thought that you know historically the guy that finishes in second, you know, in a presidential <laughs> primary has a pretty good shot the next time, and so uh, you know he still that. thinks that, and I think that he saw his life flash before his eyes. But this was just another example of why he will never be. He, you know, he, he will never be the Uber mention, right? Um, and so I think in this instance, like, this was a survival. You know, he saw his entire standing within the MAGA base, you know, potentially dissipate. And, 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 I, and I think that, that this is an important thing to understand is why was it? Why was this, you know, an existential threat to him? And it's because, I, you know, 40%, maybe more, of the Republican primary voters see themselves as kinsmen 
to the people that were that stormed the Capitol on one six, and, and so in in a sense, he was revealed to have called his own voters terrorists, right? Because because they have all you know, wrapped themselves in a cloak. Um, that, that unites the people that showed up on that mall that day to the biggest MAGA supporters. This is the most disturbing part about where we are in the one-year anniversary from this, is that there remains a, a significant and strong and powerful base that that is pro what happened on 1-6. I, I thought that Bill made a good point on your podcast on Monday. Not 90%, right? Like there, There's still yeah. a group of the Republicans that are outraged by this and that the Democrats should be trying to reach. But a very significant and powerful block that that liked what happened and and the and if you want to be in good standing with them, you have to continue to go along and play act that you also think that that the country was stolen from us and that it's worth protesting, well, you know? And that's that, that's scary because that's it, what got it, us one six in the first place. It it is scary. It also just strikes me how much they all despise one another. I mean, they're afraid of their base, but they also despise their base. You you know that that you know Donald Trump and others and, and Tucker Carlson, you know, demand this kind of, you know, self-abasement. But and I we use the word despise, but they have to say, you know, this is pathetic what you have to do. Okay, I want one more point before I think, want to come yeah, back. Yeah, you don't think Donald yeah. Trump would just trade his base for Barack Obama's base in a second? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, well, one last point here. You know, it is worth remembering that uh, here you have this United States senator who is doing this this cringe performance with with Tucker Carlson. You are right, Tucker. I am so sorry, Tucker. You know, what I mean to say, Tucker, um, you know, you know, yes, yes, Tucker, is is that Tucker Carlson right now is is really at the epicenter of some of the most vicious disinformation. In fact, you know, so bad that, you know, our, our good friends, uh, you know, Jonah Goldberg and, and Steve Hayes quit Fox because they didn't want to be associated with what Carlson is doing right now. Uh, you might have had Chris Wallace, uh, who didn't explicitly say it, but he was troubled by it. And then you have this, I don't know, I, if people haven't seen it, uh, John Ward from Yahoo, um, really uh, top-notch reporter, really dismantles, uh, you know, Tucker's attempts to retcon January 6th. He's, 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 he's been arguing, you know, that, that all of this was, was a setup, a trap um, by shadowy forces in the government. I mean, Tucker Carlson has basically moved into the space that used to be reserved for the Alex Jones conspiracy theorist. And, and, and John Ward does this deep dive, and he concludes that, that the examination shows that Carlson makes alarming claims that are built on flimsy or inaccurate evidence or does not consider evidence that contradicts his narrative. Ultimately, he uses legitimate concerns, you know, about FBI abuses of power to weave a story about January 6th that ends up making claims that are not supported by facts. So this guy is a dangerous liar. And instead of keeping him at arm's length, what you see is people like Ted Cruz beating a door so that he can take a knee. And and, and that's also dangerous. So. Can we talk about your not my party this week? Yeah. Which is excellent. And people well, actually, auto- before we get to just one yeah, thing on okay. the Tucker John Ward article, because I think it's worth pointing out and because it's so um, widespread right now. And and that is this key theory that you ta- are talking about, about these dark shadowy forces. The, yeah. the basis yeah. behind that, right, is this notion that the FBI had informants inside the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, right? And that, and that there were a couple of guys. There's one guy that they keep pointing out, a tall guy in a MAGA hat who's saying, charge the Capitol, charge the Capitol. And then some people around him are saying, you're a Fed, you're a Fed. And, and so this the theory that's being put out by Tucker's show is that really – what happened on January 6th was that there were a bunch of peaceful protesters, you know, great patriots who were just there because they were concerned about the election fraud that, you know, Hugo Chavez and the Chinese had committed somehow, unclear exactly how. And that the only reason that, that the violence happened is because of a couple feds egged them on because they wanted to they wanted to get them. Um, it was, you know, it was a trap, as you said. And and, and this is something that Ward takes seriously in his article. And, you know, as he goes through it, it's, it's like, hey, well, a like many things on Tucker's Alex Jones Infowars nightly program, there's no actual evidence for it, right? It's all circumstantial. And in fact, the basis of this comes from this guy Darren Beatty, who is a white nationalist white sympathizer. Nationalist, that, yeah, yeah, got fired for the Trump for, for the Trump administration for being too friendly with the white yeah. nationalists. Think yeah. about how friendly you got to be to get fired from too, too bigoted for MAGA world. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. a little too out mm-hmm. there in the open, Darren. Like we like to keep mm-hmm. these things under wraps on our alt accounts. 
you know, you're you're being a little too brazen. Um, and so, so you know, not exactly a credible source yet. This is emanating from. Um, but Ward takes it seriously, asks the DOJ about it. DOJ doesn't comment. So, you know, we we don't really know. I, you know, who knows, right? Government does stupid things. It's possible that there was some stupid government informant doing something stupid that day. I'm not completely closed to the idea. But the problem here is that this is how conspiracies work, right? This is how Alex Jones works. You throw out a, well, maybe it was the feds. And then and then everybody who's watching, they don't think logically about that, right? They're like, oh, see, we don't have to take responsibility. The feds did it. And so then you know what happens? Ron DeSantis threw out this theory yesterday. Three Senate candidates, Eric Greitens, Blake Masters in Arizona, I forget the, the third one, all threw out this theory yesterday. And, 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 and when you just step back and think about it, it's like, okay, well, let's take this seriously. Let's say there were two FBI informants in this crowd of thousands who were, who were trying to egg people on. Does that in any way make the actions of January 6th better? The fact that they were they were gathering a mob, you know, to to interrupt the peaceful transition of power. The fact that the sitting president was lying about fraud. The fact that hundreds of people then started stabbing police officers. I mean, I said this on Twitter. Like, imagine putting two feds inside the women's march, and they and they start looking around at the ladies in their pink pussy hats and their you know their male allies and saying, guys, guys, we need to storm the White House. We need to storm the White House now that Donald Trump is in there. You know, we need to interrupt, you know, the inauguration. I, the ladies would be looking at these feds like, what? Who, like, who are these fucking crazy people? They would be calling the cops on the feds saying, get these guys out of here. You know, like, so the, the, this whole notion, this whole conspiracy is farcical. It's like it's based on the idea that, like, that, that just having two guys in a crowd saying let's charge the Capitol and commit a domestic terrorist attack is in, it is enough to make all of the sheep around them um, go along with it, right? So, so it's it's a nonsensical theory, but that but all all you just need is a kernel, you know, in, in, in the conspiratorial world, and, and and then people don't have to to you know deal with the ramifications. Well, and also you know Ron DeSantis, who's supposed to be the not crazy Trump. Right. He's now buying into all of it. So, I oh, mean, the, the way that it spreads out is is remarkable. OK, just since we're, we're, we're on all of this, because yeah. I got a lot of email and reaction over the last uh, couple of days. The other thing that has just become huge on the right is the whataboutism that, OK, you know, something happened on January 6th. But where were you guys when there were all of these hundreds of BLM riots that destroyed <laughs> billions of dollars in property and all of the cops and everything? And this is one where you take a deep breath and two points to be made. You know, num number one, we we were denouncing those riots. We were on this podcast and writing saying that, you know what? Everybody needs to denounce this violence. Biden needs to denounce this violence. Democrats need to make it clear that violence. But also that's point number one. But point number two is that it is fundamentally and categorically different to have random violence in or even serious violence in, 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 in downtown Portland, Oregon, where they are, you know, burning a Starbucks or in downtown Kenosha, which is horrible and needs to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But there's a fundamental difference between that and an attempt to overthrow a presidential election, a concerted attempt to uh, stop the Congress from certifying the free, fair, secure election of the president of the United States. And the thing about January 6th is it's not just some random act of violence. And you need to see it in the whole context of this attempt to you know, propagate the big lie, undermine uh, the, the election, you know, force the Congress to do something that was, you know, clearly, you know, anti-democratic. And yet somehow we're supposed to think that, well, yes, but somebody threw a bottle through a Best Buy in Kenosha and burned it down, which is, you know, fuck those guys. But yeah. people, not the same thing. And I guess we're in this you know, space where who are you talking to? Because we weren't minimizing that. Yeah, and this is part of this sort of right wing eco chamber, right? Like, like oh, yeah. this is why these guys get radicalized because they're because that's all they're talking about on the Bannon pod and all these places every day, right? Is look at what happened and and you know you know nut picking the worst actors from all of these riots, and you know I think that that you know we do a lot of mocking of our old friends over at National Review on this podcast, so I do sometimes want to you know shout them out when when somebody does something well. <sighs> 
Kevin, I think Kevin Williamson, you know, had a turn of phrase that made that really put this, you know, whataboutism to bed when he said, there is a difference between a coup d'etat and a coup de target, right? Like, like, like there is an actual difference when there's a violent attempt to interrupt the peaceful transition of power. This is a category difference from the kinds of street violence that we've had all throughout history, which is not good and should be condemned. But, you know, there was nobody out there waving Joe Biden flags outside the, you know, outside the Kenosha Best Buy, right? Uh, You know, it's a different, it's a category difference than people climbing the Capitol, the United States Capitol, taking down the United States flag and putting up a Donald Trump flag. (sighs) I I mean, like, you know, and you can just imagine the counterfactual. This is why I always get so frustrated. My blood pressure gets up when I hear this argument. You can imagine the, the opposite counterfactual. Instead of comparing this to the BLM riots, why don't we compare this to if Obama had lost in 2008 and a mob of black people charged the Capitol and started attacking cops and climbing the Capitol and putting up a Black Panthers flag and, you know, a Barack Obama fuck your feelings flag. Do we feel like Ben Shapiro would be would be what abouting that? You know, or yeah, do we I think, think that I, their tone would be a little different? I, I think we know the answer. Well, what's interesting is in their world, there is this huge shadowy threat because that's their, you know, that's their mental image of domestic violence, right? It right. tends to be black. It's Antifa. It's Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, and look, I, th- there there were people who certainly were, you know, fed into it. I mean, how many times have I seen this picture now of the CNN reporter, you know, standing at one of the demonstrations saying, you know, mostly peaceful demonstration and behind them there's this huge fire. Well, of course people are going to mock that. But, uh, okay, so you talk about the right-wing ecosystem for your sins, Tim Miller. Yeah. You have immersed yourself in the Steve Bannon War Room podcast? I have. Tell me about this. I have. Talk to me about it. It is... What the hell? You know, people are going to have to read the article on Monday uh, because I'm sure if any, if you're on Twitter, hopefully some of these listeners aren't on Twitter and punishing themselves. Yeah. Occasionally you get a little clip, right, yeah. of the Steve Bannon podcast. It pops up. That's what you I know, see. Yeah. It'll be Matt Gates on there or, you Mark know, Gates. some other cretin. And, you know, they'll say something stupid about the vaccine or, you know, about the 2020 election. And they'll get dunked on on Twitter and then it goes away. I, I didn't even really realize this. The guy is prodigious. He's putting out three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Three hours. He's live on video. He wears the same shirts every day. He's like his face is necrotizing. I mean, he looks like he has cirrhosis, but he but but yet he has energy. I don't know if he what he's doing back there to, to stay so high energy, but he's got he's doing three hours a day. And and it's in they've created an entire kind of world um, that has catchphrases and you know an alternate reality much much focus on the 2020 election still biden is illegitimate the illegitimate regime and you know the vaccines all, all the things that you'd expect but the, the biggest takeaway i have is just you know when you spend time there it is is how consuming it is right and and mm. and and so you know, on its on its face, and this is kind of related to my not my party this week. On its face, it seems ridiculous and mockable, right? Because the cast of characters, it's like the Star Wars cantina doesn't even do this justice. The cast of characters they have on this podcast, I mean, like they bring on people They're like, where did this person buy their clothes? Uh, you know, and they <laughs> they look ridiculous. But mm-hmm. underneath it is a consistent drumbeat about how the country's been stolen. And how about how all of the elites across the board, the Biden regime, big tech, big media, big pharma are out to get them. And, and you can see how people get radicalized by this. You can, you know, you, you get an insight into how one six happens. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of leave it there and I'll leave kind of the specifics for next week. But that's my sense. for it. How big is the audience? I mean, so how huge. many people watch this? Like what's huge. huge? I mean, so it's it's, you know, if you look at the Apple charts on podcasts it's it's always in the top 10 it's around you had osnos on this week it's around bangino it's a little below bongino uh, Mm -hmm. on 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 the podcast charts you know it's below like ben shapiro and pod save america and the daily and you know a couple of the biggest ones Uh, but it's in the top 10 and then he also streams online he streams on rumble They've got a cable channel now that they're on. So I don't know how many people get on all those things, but they claim that they've had 125 million downloads. And you put it all together. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not nothing. 
You know, I mean, it, it's not Tucker Carlson numbers, I don't think, but it's big. It's big numbers. So as reckless and conspiratorial and Alex Jones like as Tucker Carlson is, this is one sort of, you know, step over. Did I hear that Steve Bannon is now telling his listeners that they were going to reverse the results in Arizona, that they were going to go into Arizona and get Arizona to take back its yeah. electoral votes? Yes, 1-6 is still uh, ongoing on this podcast. It's still ongoing. And and in multiple states. There's a big fight coming, uh, apparently, in Pennsylvania. Over 2020, not, not 2024. No, no, I, 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 yeah. I understand this. I'm, I'm, I'm keep, but my, my head is sort of dropping. <laughs> I, I just remember the number of times, though, that we hear these ideas that are you sort of roll your eyes because they are so stupid, they are so crazy, and then they become, I mean, I won't say real, but it, it, they become consequential. So, for example, I mean, I actually remember, I'm sure you do as well, first time you heard in late last year that Louis Gohmert, who is arguably the stupidest member of Congress, there's a lot of competition, who was filing a lawsuit saying that Mike Pence should, you know, should overturn the election. And everybody regarded that as complete lunacy. And yet now we know this was at the center of the president of the United States' entire plan to stay in power and overthrow the election. I mean, it, so it starts off with, this is the most ludicrous piece of bullshit you ever heard. And then it's like, no, no, they're actually going to do this. So you, when, when, I, when I hear you, you, you talk about Steve Bannon, talk about you know, reversing the electoral vote from 2020, you know, we're like, okay, this is really, really stupid. But in their world, they're serious about it. Or, they, or at least they want their listeners to think they're serious about it. There's some people that are serious about it, right? It's it's sometimes it's hard to tell, right? Yeah. Like to the extent how much some of these guys are in on the joke, you know? And and sometimes it does seem like a um well, anyway, I'll I'll, I'll let the article speak for itself okay. on a few times where it seems like people right, are on the joke, but I I I think that your broader point and this goes to like what my the theme of my not my part yeah. was this week, right? Which was that these guys on their face it all seems so farcical. You know, and that is true about Bannon's podcast. It is true about Louis Gomert. It was true last year about the Horns guy and Rudy and the Kraken and all of it. I mean, it just all seems so ridiculous. Right. And and obviously you have some useful pundits running cover for them. You know, your Ross Daltats of the world telling everybody, no, guys, this is stupid, right? Like, you don't have to worry about this. And, and so you bring that all together. And what I see is I think that people who are trying to live normal lives, right? Like people who do not do Charlie Sykes' podcast every day. Bad choice for those people. But, you know, instead they're just listening to sports talk or whatever, you know, that they want. You know, they're, they're trying to get separation from all this. I, I can understand how those people, you know, do not share our alarm, right? Not, and I, I'm not excusing the Ross outsets of the world. I'm talking about regular folks because right, they right. look at all this and it's just Normal like, people. Yeah, and it's just like this can't be the thing that brings down this right. great country. It, like, this it's, just can't it's be. Too it's, it's too stupid. It's too fucking stupid. stupid. It's, it, right? it's absurd. And see, that's the point that I think is very powerful when I came away was that the stupid can distract us from how dangerous it is, right? I mean, it's like you have a line where you say our, our brains have trouble processing all of this. The things that feel like obvious jokes are actually our era's version of the uprising that seems so serious in history books. Yeah. So that's the cognitive dissonance. How can you think that there's a coup and attempt to overthrow the government when it's just, you know, blousy jaundiced podcasters or brain damaged pig farmers or some neck beard who's decided that the word pizza you know is, is is code for child trafficking it's just too dumb too crazy and yet you know it it, it they're still there they're gonna try it again and yeah, we need and i don't want to compare you know these racist neck beards to you know our great founders but you know just just for purpose of a thought exercise you don't think the folks in britain thought that about the guys throwing tea into the sea you know what no. i mean like i i think that that is the hard part here right is that, that there always is a ridiculous element to this it's just it's so in our face now yeah, and, no. you know, I'm not a, yet a dad that is doing all the World War One reading and stuff, but this was what all the Hitler people say, right? Like, like you know, they went over and met with him. He gets out of jail and he's like, this guy is too dumb, right? And so, again, it's not saying that Trump is Hitler or that these guys are the Tea Party. But the point is that, that there's always a sense of ridiculous to it. It's just right now, 
because of our access, you know, because of social media, 24 hour news cycle, we see it all so closely that, and you look at it and you're like, this is just, this is just a joke. Like this, these are just people letting off some steam or these people are too stupid to do anything. And, and, and that's just not true, right? Like, like there are enough weak parts within our system that even dumb people can exploit yeah. them. And, and, and so, you know, anyway, that, that a year out, this is my big takeaway from this is, is I think that there are mil, very, millions of people who take all this stuff very seriously. There are another set of millions of people that it's that are incentivized by their desire to keep power. I'm talking about the politicians, you know, your your conservative ink pundits, you know, to minimize to minimize it and to kind of play pretend and to, you know, and to kind of go along with it, but know that, you know, they're the adults and put together. Those are, that's a powerful force and it's almost half the country. And and that's what makes it so difficult to fight against this, uh, to, yeah. to, to oppose it. So just shifting gears only slightly. Yeah, sure. So what, what do you, what did you think of, uh, of Biden's speech yesterday? Yeah, I thought it was really good. And we were, um, giving them some trouble on the next level for Bullard Plus subscribers. Maybe not giving them trouble. That's not the right word. We're just talking about how frustrating it's been, I think, for the last year. That Biden has gone out of his way, I think, to to live up to his campaign promise of, of where possible, looking for comedy. You know, he has not right. gone, taken gratuitous dunks on Donald Trump, with very, very few exceptions. He's not at all acted like Trump acted, of course. You know, he's tried to find bipartisanship on you know, at least COVID and infrastructure, not on, not on BBB. You know, I, I'm sure that your Peter Myers, of the world wish there were, you know, a few more olive branches that were put onto the Hill, but in the grand scheme of things, particularly as compared to his predecessor, he's, he's at least attempted, you know, to try to take down the temperature. He's got no credit for it. No, no. credit. And, and he's just gotten in the whole time, the right. So it's asymmetrical completely. Yeah, it's asymmetrical. Yeah. The right can just attack him mercilessly and have chants that's like, fuck Joe Biden and going on in stadiums. Yeah. And if like Jen Psaki says one mean thing, then Fox is running, you know, 24 hour, you know, coverage on how, you know, they, uh, you know, they're not, they're, they, this guy was supposed to be, you know, uniting the country. This doesn't seem unifying yeah. to me. So, yeah. so yeah. he, like, He's been sort of stuck, and 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 I feel like as we got to the one year anniversary, it was important for him to you know once again kind of reanimate the other key point from his campaign, which is that these guys are a threat; they are dangerous, and 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 we need to recognize the danger if we are going to heal. And, and and I thought that he did a good job of just laying out that starkly that the rule of law doesn't just matter, you know, when you win that there are broader principles at stake here. I don't know that it's going to move the needle for him politically, but I, I think it was laying the groundwork for what needs to be a year of a two-part message that is very clear-eyed about the threats that are coming from the right, while also you know, trying to get their stuff together and focusing on what are a few things they can pass that make people's lives better that they can campaign on. That Those have got to be the two planks no, that I, they and, focus and, on and, this year, and he and, did and, one well. He, he really has to push this speech. Making this yeah. one speech does is not going to make a difference here. But I, I, again, this is the kind of thing that makes your head hurt. I think it was one of the reporters, you know, at, at the White House asking uh, Jen Psaki, so has Joe Biden failed to heal the nation because we're still so divided? So it, it's like he gets someone asked Biden for, that too. He, he Biden the, was asked that. Yeah. I, so, but it was interesting with the reaction to his speech. I mean, this this is from a party that is you know in lockstep with Donald Trump, who keeps issuing these completely demented, deranged uh, statements. Uh, Representative Scott Fitzgerald, who used to be a state senator here from Wisconsin, a big Trump guy, uh, issues a tweet uh, yesterday saying the president Biden created more division, not unity, in his speech today. This isn't leadership. This is a theater to distract from this administration's failures. And my friend Jim Wigderson, uh, who used to be the editor of Right Wisconsin, said, you know what's divisive, Scott? Voting to overturn an election after a violent insurrection at the Capitol trying to accomplish the same thing. Uh, Congressman Fitzgerald sided with the domestic terrorists and President Trump's coup attempt over the people of Wisconsin. So, I mean, it is rich. It is just pounding irony to death with hammers for these guys to say, you're saying mean things? You're dividing the country? The people yeah. who actually supported the coup? I mean, fuck those people. Okay, yeah. you said Newt was doing this? Ugh. So, um, your, your, your boy, Joe Manchin. 
Yeah. We haven't talked since Joe Manchin pulled the plug on BBB. Country Joe. Go. I, I This is my probably my least popular take right now, but I... I, I think that Democrats need to listen to Joe Manchin. I, I, Joe Manchin, you know, has has pro- for people who watch the day to day of this has probably you know done some things that are hiding the ball and and not acting in in good faith and 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 he deserves to be criticized on the inside the Beltway stuff. But in the big picture, he's laid out some clear guidelines for how Democrats can move forward. You know, uh, he does not want these half baked plans. You know that 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 are that kind of hide the ball on the cost because it's like oh we're going to fund all of this for two years and then you know hope that everybody keeps extending it you know he wants to pick a few programs and fully fund them I think that's right by the way on both the policy and the politics and you know he he offered on you know I think you look at the example on energy stuff he said that he wa- he didn't want things that were going to punish polluters not good disagree with him on that but he said that he he would support clean energy you know tax credits incentives you know research he stood by that right and, and so and so the democrats changed the bbb to meet those specifications and and i unfortunately for for progressives who want more they're gonna have to change the rest of the bbb to meet the specifications he laid out and if joe manchin ends up killing a bill and getting to go back to west virginia and saying guys the far left wanted all of these things and I said no, but I'm going to vote yes for clean energy tax credit and parental leave, you know, fully funded parental leave and one other thing. And we're going to pay for it by taxing people over 500K. Uh, boy, I think that's a good campaign platform to run on for Democrats nationwide. It, it helps him politically because he's able to speak to his Trump voters and, and say that he did something for them. So, you know, that might not be the ideal policy that everybody on the left wants, but if they do that, and again, he has to do this. Now, if we get to November and he's still they still done nothing and they're still fighting, then you know I'll, I will okay. you know eat my words and say Joe Manchin he screwed this up. But if they do that, if they come back and get a smaller, more tangible, easier to sell bill, like that to me seems like a win win. And that should have been, by the way, the best Democrats could have hoped for when they started this term with a fifty fifty Senate, where the crux vote was a guy who lives who represents a state that Trump won by seventy percent. I mean, that's like the the whole notion that this was going to be an uh, FDR administration was ridiculous from the start. Uh, you know, like he was that was never going to be with a fifty fifty Senate. It was never going to be, and this is the problem of overpromising and of hubris. So. Uh, we, we, what we, before we you know, close out here, I just have to make a shout out, you know, once again to Liz Cheney, who, who's, who is, uh, I think every day that goes by, I am more impressed with her because of the contrast and, and, and that amazing scene yesterday. I mean, that's, wow. that was remarkable where Dick Cheney comes to the floor of the house and joins his daughter, Dick Cheney standing there. And they were the only Republicans in the entire chamber when they had the moment of silence. I mean, Wow, what a remarkable moment that it's come to this. And of course, you we did have people on the left say, no, 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 no alliance there, war criminal, blah, blah. Hey, do you, you want the coalition, do you want a demo, pro-democratic coalition or don't you? But it was quite a moment, uh, Dick Cheney deciding that this was the this was the day that he was going to speak out forcefully about the lack of leadership in the Republican Party. What a picture that was. It I was mean, I, I have my own no. complaints about Dick Cheney, too, but just that just that image of just the two of them, no one else in the House chamber going out there, really powerful. And, and yeah, to your point, like, look, at Navalny, by the way, in Russia, this isn't, if you learned all of his positions, you know, you, <laughs> I, like, this is not a hero. There are no heroes sometimes in politics, right? Like, no perfect right, right, heroes. Never, and, and, never. And, and I think flawed people, people that have made mistakes doing the right thing, I, I, we we do still need to create an incentive structure that encourages people to do the right thing, even if they hadn't always, you know. And and that's what that's what these guys are doing right now. I I think so. I actually uh, did a podcast that won't be aired until next week uh, with uh, with Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review. Ooh. One of the things that that we disagreed very strongly um, about was Liz Cheney, and he's among those who think that she's making a mistake because, you know, losing her position, she'd be in a you know much better position to shape the Republican Party. <laughs> Wait, had, no, really? Had she, had she stayed in leadership, by which he also means obviously that she had not spoken out, and this, of course, is the way that they rationalize silence and acquiescence. And I see Ben Dominic from the Federalist, you know, John McCain's son-in-law. 
you know, uh, tweeting out, Liz Cheney seems okay with this irrelevant commission being the end of her family's relevant political career. And that seems rather unwise because relevance for people without any principles, I think relevance and clout are all that really matters. And they just don't understand. And yet I think that Liz Cheney has become more relevant, more influential by sticking to her guns than she would have been basically putting her head down, being you know, groveling and, you know, going along with with everything. Yeah, why did I don't know. Why didn't why didn't Liz Cheney do what Rich Lowry has done? It, well, exactly. I mean, that's just so ironic. <laughs> just like, I just don't get why Liz Cheney hasn't done what I've done and, you know, clip my wings and not say some things from time to time in order to maintain my editorship. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, well, it's like, look at Paul Ryan, right? I mean, it's just like, Paul really, Ryan, what, yeah. what do you want? Like, you want to go away having done nothing, having achieved nothing, and then, you know, the inevitable is the inevitable comes? No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think well, that well, you don't know what the future, Liz Cheney's young. You don't know. Liz Cheney's young. Doing the right thing is the right thing. Well, I mean, he was snarking that, well, you know, Liz Cheney is on a clear glide path to get a contract on CNN. Like, okay, you know, obviously being a congressman is, you know, much more important in leadership. See, this is part of the problem. I, I think that at the same time that we're watching the power in politics shifting radically, there are still people who say, if you don't keep your, you know, pissant elective office, you're going to be completely irrelevant. You'll all become Jeff Flake has become the big boogeyman now. You know, you're not relevant anymore. Well, I think the reality is, is that is, is, is very different, uh, that, that I think a lot of members of Congress are realizing I'm not getting anything done here. You know, particularly if I don't say anything that is not important. So there's a reason why we remember, um, you know, Sir Thomas More and not all of the other bishops, right, who we can't even name. It's because, okay, he became irrelevant by losing his job, right, but he took a stand. There's a reason why we remember Senator Margaret Chase Smith from the United States Senate who spoke out against Joe McCarthy. You know, name other members of the Senate. Name committee chairman from the early 1950s now. Who remembers them? So, you know, this may seem naive, but we are definitely going to be talking 30 years from now. People will still remember Liz Cheney and what she is doing more than whoever becomes the next Republican chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Right. Nobody even wants that job now. I mean, Devin Nunes is leaving that job to go work for a racist, you know, social media company. Yeah. You know, like irrelevant, irrelevant now. No. And you don't hear Rich Lowry doing that, uh, you know, going on and on about that. No, this is the thing I don't really understand. And that, you know, the next time I have a beer with one of these guys, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of, which is, and maybe they don't care about this. You know, Olivia talked about this on your pod on Wednesday, that Rudy doesn't care about his history. Rudy cares about his now. And maybe that's true for most of these people. But but no one can think that 50 years from now, you know, people are going to look at that picture of the Confederate flag and the Trump flag above the Capitol and people storming the Capitol in order to Mm -hmm. keep this reality TV show asshole in power and his refusal to to peacefully transfer. Nobody could possibly think that 50 years from now, people are going to look at that and there's going to be a what about the Black Lives Matter protests? <laughs> like view, you know, fifty years from now, there will be a a a consensus that 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 this was one of the most horrible scenes from this part of our of, of our history, and the question will be why more people didn't stand up clearly. I, I I see that as clearly as I see anything, right? I we I don't. It's hard to know what ten years looks like. It's very easy to know what 50 years looks like. And, and, and I just don't understand why these guys don't, don't see that. I've thought about this as well. I mean, two possible explanations. One is the one that Olivia Nuzzi, you know, gave about Rudy Giuliani that he basically says, fuck my legacy. He just doesn't care. Okay. That's, that's one. Maybe, maybe that's, there's, there's that mindset. The other is, I think a lot of these people figure, you know what? We're going to be the ones writing our own history books in our own media. We're going to be the ones who are going to determine the school curriculum. And that picture ain't going to be there, man. So I don't know. Maybe. I, it's it is certainly possible. Tim Miller, welcome to 2022. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Have a great weekend. So good to be here with you. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday. We'll do this all over again.